So today we are completing our Back to the Basics series that we have been in since the first week of January where we have talked about our core beliefs, we've talked about the things upon which we uh, try to build our faith and our lives, and, um, and also we've talked about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to trust in God, and, and today we're bringing this series to a, a close. I want to tell you that uh, this evening I have a date, and it's not with my wife. I'm very excited about this date. It's with a much younger woman. She is sweet. She's compassionate. And she has had me wrapped around her finger for about seven and a half years now. Now, Sometimes she tries to tell me what to do, and sometimes I listen to her. She can be sassy, stubborn, but she is definitely one of the kindest and most nurturing people that I know. On my day tonight is with my seven-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Montgomery, to the father-daughter dance here at Woodmont. It's at 4 o'clock, and we're expecting over 300 people at the father-daughter dance, which is amazing because it's only a, 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 been a three-year tradition. We've, this is the third time that we've, that we've done it. We're just a few days away from Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is Wednesday, uh, for those of you that need to be reminded of that. Um, but I want to preach a sermon this morning on a topic that I believe is very important. For a long time, I would say for, for most of my life, I have had the conviction that the quality of our lives is directly tied to the quality of our relationships. Think about it. As human beings, we are social creatures, and the way that we form meaning in life is through interacting with each other. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Relationships matter. They are important. One of the greatest sources of, of joy and meaning and strength and comfort and security comes to us in the form of relationships. And yet at the same time, some of the greatest heartache and pain and suffering and disappointment can also come to us through our relationships. And as a minister, I, I get to see this because I get to be with people during both the, the good times and the, the, the bad times. I get to be there when, when a baby is born or, or dedicated, when a marriage uh, is consecrated, when, a, when, a, when, a, uh, uh, when a, uh, a couple renews their vows, when they, uh, they, they decide that after whatever has happened, they're going to recommit and, and, and make their marriage work moving forward. I, I get to be there when, when, when there's really good times, but at the same time, I get to be there when people lose a loved one or a family member, when, um, when they're dealing with a, a child that has a, a, an addiction problem, when they're uh, separated or when a divorce happens and they're trying to rebuild their lives, when they lose a loved one and we have to plan a funeral. So I get to see both of these extremes in life, the, the good times as well as the more difficult times. And what I can conclude, and I think that all of you can conclude, no matter where you are in life, no matter how young or old you might be, no matter if you're married or single or divorced, you would conclude that relationships matter. The quality of our relationships in life matter. And that has a direct impact on whether or not we enjoy life. Now, learning to love, I think, is the most important thing that we can do as we live. And learning to love sounds simple, but actually it's not simple at all. Because we know that love is complicated. 
We know it comes with hurt. We know that the people who we love the most can let us down and disappoint us and hurt us the most. But we're still called to love and, and to figure out what love looks like. And Paul writes these words that many of us have learned since we were in Sunday school. He writes these words to the Corinthian church. He says, love is patient and love is kind. And love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Love never ends. One of my favorite authors is a guy that teaches at the business school at NYU. His name is Jonathan Haidt. And he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. But before that, he wrote a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. And in the book, The Happiness Hypothesis, he's talking about happiness and meaning and where it comes from. And he says, you know, some people think that happiness comes from getting stuff, buying houses, buying cars, uh, buying uh, jewelry, uh, purses, shoes, clothes. And that can be true, but usually it's short-lived. Then he said, some people actually think that happiness comes from within, the, the Buddhist approach, that you look within, that you pray and you meditate, and that's where you find happiness and, and meaning. But Jonathan Haidt concludes that no, both of those are actually inadequate. He says, I think that happiness comes from between. Happiness comes from the relationships and the interactions that we have with each other as we journey through life together, because that is where meaning is found. And I think he's on to something. Happiness, meaning, and fulfillment comes from between. And Jesus knew that, and Jesus taught that. Our relationships and our interactions matter. Now, one of the most reassuring parts of life is that no matter what happens to us, for good or for bad, if we go through some of the most painful situations, we don't have to go through them alone. We get to journey through life together. We get to lift each other up and support each other and pray for each other and encourage each other. But guess what? Not everybody has a strong family support system. Not everybody has a close set of friends that they can lean on when, when times get tough. And so it's not the same for everybody when they go through difficult times. There is a, a couple who lives in Seattle, Washington, named Drs. John and Julie Gottman. And the Gottmans have done research on relationships for decades. In fact, many marriage and family therapists look to them for guidance and for cutting-edge research uh, and, and read their literature and, and the books that they put out. But uh, the Gottmans have what they call a love lab, and they will actually bring in a couple and observe them for a weekend and, and that's how they are able to do some of the research. It's actually uh, by observing a couple interacting, how they talk to each other, how they, uh, how they treat each other. But I wrote a short piece for the Tennessean yesterday on this. The Gottmans and all their research have concluded that there are actually four patterns of behavior that we need to watch out for and avoid in our relationships. And you know what those four patterns are? They says it's criticism, it's contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So let's talk about those for just a minute. Criticism of a spouse or a partner is very different from offering a critique or a complaint. Criticism is usually directed towards a person's character and it's not well received. 
A critique or a complaint is usually more specific or situational, but criticism is much more general or broad. Now, when criticism becomes pervasive, it causes the other person to feel assaulted, rejected, and hurt. And criticism often paves the way for the other three horsemen, contempt, defensiveness, and uh, stonewalling. Nobody wants to be in a relationship where they are always criticized. And nobody wants to be around somebody that is always critical because that sucks the life and the energy out of the dynamic. It's just not fun. But some of us have a tendency to be critical even when we don't realize that we're doing it. And so we must watch out for that and make sure that criticism is kept in check because it can do significant damage. The second behavioral pattern is contempt. And the Gottmans say that contempt is fueled by long simmering negative thoughts about the partner or spouse. And this often happens in a passive aggressive manner. It's usually done to get a rise or a reaction out of the other person. But contempt is often the result of a deeply held resentment or grudge that builds over time and that's never dealt with or unpacked. And the Gottmans have actually discovered that contemptuous relationships are not only toxic, but they actually have a physiological effect on our lives because they can weaken our immune system and our ability to fight off things like the cold or the flu. It actually has a physical implication on our lives. Now, having contempt for your spouse or your partner is not healthy, and if it's not addressed, it'll get worse because contempt can be very problematic. The third behavioral pattern is defensiveness, which is often the natural result of the first two. When we feel attacked or accused, our natural reaction is to be defensive towards our partner or spouse. This may be understandable, but defensiveness has a negative effect in our relationships. And this is often the way that, that we turn the tables and we actually take something that we're responsible for and we turn it around and blame it on the other person. Defensiveness becomes our attempt to justify our behavior because we probably know that we're in the wrong or maybe we overlook something that we should have done. And when we become defensive, we cannot listen because we feel attacked. And, and we get busy, we become busy trying to justify what we did or didn't do. The fourth pattern of behavior is stonewalling. And stonewalling is what happens when one person shuts down and simply blocks out the other. It is a clear indication that one of the, one of the partners has checked out Stonewalling is usually a last resort and it's utilized once the other three have already been exhausted. And guess what? Men are sometimes guilty of stonewalling when they feel like anything that they are going to say is not going to be right. And so they just don't say anything. But stonewalling is usually a sign that that person needs some time alone. And different people will require different amounts of personal time. But stonewalling is a nonverbal way of saying, I'm done here. Leave me alone. Now, those are the four patterns that they say we should avoid. And I think that not only do they apply in romantic relationships, I think they apply in friendships and also in our other family relationships. But there's a fifth one that I would add to this list that I have observed in the years of working with couples and doing premarital counseling. And the fifth pattern of behavior to avoid is neglect. Many of us can be guilty of neglecting our spouses, neglecting our friendships, and when we do that, we are not nurturing them. We're not building them up, and we are not making them a priority. This often happens when a couple has children. I mean, before Megan and I had three kids, we had a lot of time for each other. 
And now we have three children and it's amazing how fast that time gets sucked away. You have to be intentional about carving out time to be with your spouse and to nurture that relationship. Sometimes this happens in a marriage when people have been together for a really long time and they just put things on cruise control and just assume that it's gonna take care of itself. But marriages and relationships have to be nurtured. They can't be put on cruise control. So avoid the five patterns, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, and neglect. Now, let's ask a more positive question this morning. And this is free advice, three days before Valentine's Day, right? What are the key ingredients? What are the essential components that lead us to having healthy and happy relationships in our life? What are the things that Jesus taught about love, about serving others that we can apply to our personal relationships? I'll share five of these with you. The first is trust. Relationships cannot function without trust. Trust is the currency of relationships. We must work to build trust and then sustain trust. Scottish poet George MacDonald once said, to be trusted is a greater compliment than to be loved. Some of us might say that there are people in our lives that we love, but that we still don't trust. Bless their heart is what we'll say. It's impossible to sustain any relationship without trust. Somebody once told me that, 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 that trust is kind of like having a debit account. And you put all these deposits into that debit account over time, the little things that you do that are right. But then it doesn't take much to take a huge withdrawal from that same account. This past week, the market, if you follow the market, did a lot of this up and down. And we had an endowment meeting on Monday night and somebody uh, uh, made the comment that markets go up like escalators and down like elevators. Well, this week the market went up like elevators and down like elevators. But I think the same is true with trust. Trust goes up like an escalator over time, but it can go down very quickly like an elevator if you do something to betray the trust of the person that you love. And we now live in an age where people are slow to trust others because they've been hurt in the past, they've been burned in the past, and, and, and they don't wanna go through that again. So trust must be built and it must be sustained. The second component to healthy relationships is respect and mutual support, which includes being attentive to each other's needs. Every person brings unique gifts and qualities into a marriage or into a relationship. Nobody is a total package and beware of people that act like they are. We must find ways to respect and support our spouses and our significant others, which means accepting them for who they are and not feeling like we need to change them. Have you ever heard this quote? I've read it in a couple different places. This quote that says that, that um, women marry men to change them and men marry women hoping they'll never change. You ever heard that before? Attentive listening is very important and men are very bad about this. We can pretend like we're listening. We can kind of be listening and watching a game or the Olympics and then we get hit with a question and it becomes clear that we weren't listening. There's a difference between kind of listening and attentive listening. God gave us two ears and one mouth, and we should think about that. You know, so many times in terms of the dynamic between men and women, there was a great book written years ago called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. 
and uh, it, it gets at this, but sometimes, you know, men are fixers. And so women will bring a problem and men just want to fix it. Tell me the problem, I'll fix it. Women just want to talk about it. They want to know that you care enough to talk about it. They really don't care if you fix it. In fact, most of the time, they don't want you to fix it. They want to know that you will talk about it, even if it doesn't get resolved. And so we have to listen and we have to talk. And it becomes obvious when there is not respect and mutual support in a relationship. It becomes obvious when one person thinks that they are superior and that they are far better than the other person. A third component, constant communication. And remember, communication is both verbal and nonverbal. You know, we forget that most of our communication in life is nonverbal. It's not the things we say, it's the messages we send, it's the expressions on our face, it's the tone that we can use. When I work with couples, I talk about the importance of over-communicating. I think that over 90% of problems in relationships are the direct result of communication issues. So developing healthy communication is essential. Choosing our words carefully is essential. Words can build people up and words can tear people down. Words can compliment and words can degrade. So it matters what we say and how we say it. And it matters that we communicate. Fourth, intentionality that leads to action. Jesus tells this story in Matthew 21. It's a parable called the parable of the two sons. The father has two sons. He goes to the first one and asks him to go and work in the vineyard. And what does the son say? He says, I will not. But later he changes his mind and he goes. He goes to the second son and asks him to go and work in the vineyard. And the son says, I will go father, but he doesn't go. And then Jesus said, which one of these two did the will of his father? Well, the answer is neither. The father wanted them to say, I will go and then go and work. But it was the one who actually went and followed up that did the will of his father. The one who changed his mind and went and worked in the vineyard. Because the point of this parable is that actions are better than words. Actions are better than intentionality. You know, sometimes we have really, really good intentions, but we don't follow up on them. And in our relationships, we often have good intentions. We're going to plan that weekend away without the kids. We're going to get those flowers and that card and let our spouse know how much we love and appreciate them. We're going to plan that special vacation for our anniversary, but so often we don't follow through. We think about it, but then we don't do it. Life gets so busy and then we don't do it, but love is best understood as a verb. It's what we do that matters and not just what we think about doing. Words and intentions must be backed up by actions. And if we really love somebody, then we have to show them through our actions. Lastly this morning, the fifth key to a healthy relationship is something that I talk about often. And I talk about it often because I wrestle with it often, is forgiveness. And if you've heard me talk about forgiveness, then you know that I say it's a recipe for survival in this world. Why? Because as human beings, for whatever reason, we cannot help but do things that hurt each other. And so if we don't learn to forgive, then we carry around a much bigger burden than we should. In no way does forgiveness mean that we're off the hook for accountability. It's possible to forgive and then still hold somebody accountable. That's actually what this city is dealing with right now. In the book Creed, Adam Hamilton says, 
Forgiving others is not the same thing as saying that what the individual did is okay. Rather, it's choosing to not hold on to the wrong that's done to us, nor to hold it over the head of the one who wronged us. You know, there are lots of people who, for whatever reason, are unwilling to let go of some of the things from their past that have been done to them, and they're the ones that actually lose because they're the ones that are carrying around these huge burdens that they just can't seem to let go of. They've got this ball and chain or this weight on their shoulder that they should have let go of a long time ago, but for whatever reason, they haven't. Remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you forgive others of their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Or another way to put that is, how dare you expect others to forgive you if you were unwilling to go and forgive others? Nobody says it's easy, but it's necessary. Forgiveness is a recipe for survival because it means that we don't have to carry around these loads and weights on our shoulders year after year and decade after decade. The reason that love and relationships are so complicated is because human beings are complicated. There's a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he once said this. He said, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. I mean, he says, wouldn't it be nice if we could take all the evil people and put them together on an island and they could screw each other over and take all the good people and put them on an island and they could take care of each other? But no, it's not that simple. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And that's why it's difficult. Relationships matter, but relationships are complicated. So we must choose to do our best to cultivate these virtues, paying very close attention to those famous words of Paul who says, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And I promise you, the quality of our lives is directly tied to the quality of our relationships. Amen.